Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, we are doing the opposite of a Clark Rage. At a time that we've heard so much about bad in humanity, I'm going to share something that shows you the basic goodness that resides in so many of us. And later, I want to talk about your kids and and maybe look in the mirror ourselves too, how much time we spend looking at devices, looking at screens. I want to talk right now about something that is very important for your wallet, and it's something that I feel like I just dialed the clock back to a decade ago. Credit card issuers are starting to get nervous for the first time in a long time that customers are going to go delinquent or default on credit cards. I shared with you about two two months ago, maybe 10 weeks ago, about how the problems with credit card portfolios were rising not to scary totals, but that people are starting to wheeze a little with the amount of credit they have, the amount they've used. And credit card debt, after going through a steady decline, has risen. The amount of money that we are saving each month has declined a lot for the average American. We've, we've kind of moved away from feeling like we need safety rails to letting it all hang out with our wallet right now. So credit card issuers are starting to freak out because they're not expecting doom and gloom, but it doesn't take a lot of credit cards to default before it heavily affects the profitability of a credit card operator. So now, according to Dow Jones, two of the nation's largest credit card issuers are dialing back on their existing customers. Capital One and Discover are both doing things to reduce the chances that they're going to get burned. And they're doing it, each using their own strategy. But I want to tell you the two most common things you'll see, and they'll come out of nowhere. One is where an issuer will just shut you down. And the most common reason that they'll shut you down is because of lack of use of a card. And I think just lately, how many calls I've had about that on the show, people who have out of the blue gotten a notice from their credit card issuer that due to extended inactivity that their account's being closed. We had one uh, last week from someone who had a notice that they had to use their card by a certain date or they'd be shut down. That's a little friendlier. But the point is, issuers have become nervous, and if you have not used a card at all, what's usually referred to as a back-of-wallet card, you want to strategically use those. I've recommended in the past they use a card twice a year just so that as far as the issuer's system is concerned, that's an active in-use card. Because you don't want to have out of the blue an issuer shut down a card because that 
affects your credit score potentially in a big way by reducing the total amount of your available credit. The other thing that's been happening is people are suddenly finding their credit limits drastically reduced. So if you have a credit limit of, let's say, $5,000, you may get a notice that's being cut to $800 or $1,200 or whatever. That also dramatically affects your overall credit score and standing. With issuers starting to pull in the rain some, here's my recommendations. In addition to remembering to use cards that you have forgotten that you even have. The next thing I want you to do is if you have very few pieces of plastic, one or two in particular, absolutely if you have only one credit card, I want you to apply and get a second one. You don't want to be in a position where if the issuer of the only card you have dumps you, you then have no credit trying to get new credit. If you have two cards, I'd like you to go to the safety of having a third one with the potential of issuers dialing back wanting customers. So you want to create more breathing room in your credit life to protect yourself. And remember this, with credit card issuers getting nervous, missing a payment for any reason just because, oh, I forgot, or, oh, I was traveling, or, you know, over Christmas, I I just didn't remember to look at my bills. Uh Uh-uh. Make sure you get payments in to your issuers on time, even if you have to take an old-fashioned thing like a piece of paper and write down who your bills are and when payments are due and check them off manually just so you remember to always get payments in, particularly when patterns are abnormal during the whole period from Thanksgiving through New Year's, just as the patterns are so abnormal and irregular during summertime. Christy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Christy. Hi, Clark. How's it going, Christy? Great. Christy, you got a question for me about how to make sure you have money before you run out of years. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for taking my question, and I'm nervous. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, don't be nervous. We're just having fun here. I've been listening to you forever, so it's like it's a real honor to talk to you. Um, but I was wondering if you had an alternative to what we always hear the four percent rule as far as a spend down rate and retirement. Well, I, I love the four percent rule, and let me explain what that is so that others know what that is. Mathematically, you're very likely never to uh, the odds are very low you'd ever run out of all your money if you never spent more than 4% of what you've saved in any year in retirement. Now, there is an alternative that I can tell you that I have uh, been really interested in in recent years because of the fact that we don't know, there's no crystal ball that says exactly how long we're going to live. And the big Mm -hmm. concern is if we're blessed with exceedingly long life, that our money may not stretch as long as our years might. So there's Mm -hmm. something called longevity insurance. Have you ever heard that term before? Yeah, I've heard you talk about that. So longevity insurance works generally um, most commonly where you just try to make your money last till age 85. 
and then early in retirement, you buy what's a pretty cheap policy that provides a big monthly benefit every month that you live beyond age 85. They're counting on the fact that most people's lifespans won't go that long, and they just get to keep the premiums from those who don't live that long. And then if somebody does get lucky in the longevity department, they're okay money-wise because from their 85th birthday forward for as long as they live, they get a huge check every month that will cover pretty much anything you'd want to spend money on unless you like um, buying gold jewelry all the time or flying in private <laughs> no. jets or whatever. Because I always, you always hear about the 4% rule with not touching the egg. And I was just wondering for people who don't have children or don't have anyone younger than them, you know, to leave the egg to, if you're not worried about that, what kind of numbers should we be thinking about? All right. So that's the beauty of the longevity insurance is that you spend all your money that you have, every last cent you have. The day you turn 85, you got nothing, basically. And then the insurance mm -hmm. takes you the rest of the way. But in your family tree, how long do people tend to live? It kind of has varied. It's kind of all over the place. So some people have been into their 90s, some people just into their early 70s. So, uh, you know, in my family, it, the range is much wider than that. Uh, how oh, okay. how young people die and i'm getting close to my expiration date as a male in my family tree already so who knows what i've got in front of me but mm -hmm. um, i've planned where i'm okay moving forward and in my case i do have family that's going to be behind me so the question i ask often if you're worried about uh you know living too frugal life and you hit a point where you've got all this money left over is there any charitable organization that really means a lot to you oh yeah and I, I don't think it's a matter of having too much <laughs> but having just you know probably more um like you said being too frugal in the present because there is an angle on uh charitable giving where you can give money to an organization and then they, in turn, essentially set up the equivalent of a pension for you. And as long as you're living, they send you or a company that they've contracted with sends you a check every month for the rest of your life. And then at the time you do pass away, they're done paying you and they have the benefit of the money you donated. Yeah. Okay. And so that would be an alternative. But... um. The 4% rule makes sense in that later in life, if you do end up with longer life, like one of your family members that lives in their 90s, you tend to have more medical expenses later. You may need help from, you know, may need somebody assisting you, you know, um, with living. In that case, you've got the money and what you preserved to provide for the care you might need later in life even if you decided not to buy a longevity insurance policy. Ryan's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Ryan. You have an impossible question for me, pretty much. Well, I was hoping that it was not impossible. 
Hit me with it. Um, I was wondering what the, the best way to get the best price on a lease for a vehicle. Getting a good deal on a lease is really, really hard because in a lease, it's so easy for uh, profit to be hidden in the deal and gotchas to be hidden in the mice type. So leases are generally pushed on people that are interested in what the cost is per month, and that's really where they focus, and it becomes so hard to know whether or not you're getting a deal. The only exception to that, and it's the only one I know, is if a manufacturer is promoting in their ads a specific manufacturer lease deal. And this is done most heavily in the luxury and near-luxury vehicle markets. What price point kind of vehicle are you interested in or what brand? Uh, I was thinking, you know, more of a truck, um, Ford, GMC, um, you know, nothing super luxurious. All right. Uh, That would not be a market where I'd recommend leasing. Okay. Because when people buy a truck, what do they tend to do? They work it to death and they drive it for a long time, right? Typically, but uh, I, I I don't drive every day. So I have a company vehicle that I drive to and from work. Well, then you are um, you are absolutely not a candidate for a lease. No. Because leases are calculated based on mileage allowances. And if this is like a weekend kind of vehicle, going, to, you know, going hunting or going fishing or whatever, mm. it's definitely not a vehicle to lease. Okay. And what I'd recommend if you want a vehicle that you just knock around in for fun that you buy a used pickup truck. Okay. And you just buy the thing because buy that would right. be that would be the smart money. Okay. But uh, I always talk about having a vehicle inspected by a mechanic. It's critical mm-hmm. with a pickup truck because pickup trucks often are punished by their owners with what they're asked to do. Right. And having one inspected by a mechanic is ultra important because a pickup truck may even look okay but it may have been beaten to death and you don't want something like that that's really like an old racehorse that's out of gas i wanted to share a story with you in the aftermath of seeing some of the worst that humans can do i want to share with you how great human beings can be this is a story about lisa greg and zach so lisa lands on a flight in Tampa, Florida, and gets a frantic call from her brother in rural Nebraska named Greg. Greg's an Army veteran. He's in great pain. He had had a surgery. Something had gone wrong with it. He couldn't move. He's broke. He had no way in rural Nebraska to get to the hospital and be treated. And his sister, all frantic, upset, in Tampa, calls which he thinks is a number for help in Nebraska, misdials the number. Zach answers the phone, and she says, I got to get my brother to the hospital right now. She thinks she's calling some kind of emergency services. And it turns out she's called Zach, the manager of a Jimmy John's location. And so 
this is uh, really confusing that she's calling, but they realize from the tone of her voice, something's really wrong. And sure enough, a driver goes and picks up Greg and takes this Army veteran to the hospital so he can be treated. And they could have just very easily at the Jimmy John's, and this is really not about Jimmy John's, this is about a human being at the store who realized somebody was in distress and stepped forward forward to help them. And instead of delivering sandwiches, they delivered him to the hospital. And these kind of things, random kindness, one American to another, one person to another, that goes on every day, and we forget to appreciate that. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. And how does somebody follow me? Almost always on their phone, on a screen. And do you know that there's a changing attitude about screens, where we go and all the rest? Facebook just reported results that were really not good for them at all. And people are starting to say, wait a minute, with all this technology and all this time on screens. Because we know as adults how we can really be addicted to our phones. And I notice everywhere I go now, because I travel a lot, and so I'm out and about in airports and public spaces, and People have this stoop, and it looks like that we're going to get a full caveman stoop over time uh, as humans as we continually are looking down. And the addiction is real, but no one is more affected by it than children. And I saw a story in the New York Times that I thought was really, really important for you to think about and that is that people who work in the technology field are very anti their children being around screens that people who work in silicon valley have banned screens from their kids and one of the moves in school systems in the silicon valley is no computers no tablets obviously no phones that kids learn the old-fashioned way with books and paper and chalkboards and no screens at all that it's even referred to as a digital divide that people who work in the digital field don't want anybody in their family to be on screens because they work with it every day they're the ones that are trying to get you and me addicted but think about a kid And then think about young children, really young children. I don't know if you saw this, but there was a study that was done at the University of Michigan that found that 95% of apps that are geared towards the all-important preschool market (laughs) on tablets, that 95% of the apps have ads in them and their kids don't have a sense of the difference between an ad and fact till well a lot of adults don't either but anyway kids don't have that reasoning power 
till they're like in the fourth or fifth grade that an ad is looked at as real and a kid will say, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. And so you can have this problem with kids wanting to do in-app purchases at three years old. You better not on your tablet have any payment form stored with Apple or with Google where a kid suddenly can be clicking buying stuff and then you as a parent, you're the one who had the payment set up with Apple or with Google. But more important, the time spent on screens. Now our producer Joel is is someone who has a child who's five and a child who's two? Uh, three. Three. And gosh, time flies. And your kids, you and your wife have very strict rules on any screen time at all, even including television. Yeah, so we try to limit television consumption to 40 minutes a day, which even honestly seems like a lot, especially the way they respond when we turn the television off. But definitely zero cell phone time and zero iPad or any sort of tablet time, uh, no apps or anything like that. I, I, it just, in my opinion, for our kids at least, uh, the sort of stimulus that they get from a lot of those apps, it makes some of the more mundane things in life feel even more mundane. Like it's really hard to adapt to you know the high color, high touch, um, super fast world of playing games in an app and then kind of come back to normal life and just have to eat dinner with the family. Um, it's just tough for a three and a five-year-old to actually be able to handle that well. So, uh, you know, as parents, I'd, I'd say that each of us handle it how we do. I'd say that I completely failed at this with, I mean, my oldest daughter, this wasn't an issue because electronics were not everywhere like they are now. But I'd say with my two younger kids that uh, I was a big fail at this. And my wife was much more aware of the potential for harm than I was. I didn't recognize it. And I I feel bad about that, that we as parents need to recognize what we do that essentially with a very young child, you're rewiring their brains. And I'm not one of those people who believes that you ban it entirely. That's why there's a range of opinions. And Joel and his wife have said none at all. But having the tight collar on time watching video of any kind, and you may find that any app that's free is one you want to avoid. Is an app that's free, how are they going to pay for it? They're going to pay for it by having ads embedded in it. So actually, cheap guy telling you to pay for it. Paying for Netflix, if you want to let them watch video, instead of letting them watch traditional TV where there's going to be all the ads, is a way you can uh, prevent the advertising from having an undue influence on a young child's mind. But the screens themselves, having tight limits that are age appropriate on how much time on a screen is great and with the new fancy wireless mesh products that I recommend for you to have in your home that give you much more reliable and faster internet in your home they're they're going to be completely common if you're out looking at technology at all through this fall this is instead of having a traditional wireless router these things all app based so we're getting back to an app you're able to control 
how much time your kids can have on screens automatically. So Joel mentioned 40 minutes. How would you enforce that? Well, with the apps, you shut a device down when it when a child's use would hit 40 minutes. They're done. Whatever the the rules are you put in place, it's a very easy way for you to enforce it. So using electronics to defeat electronics. Yes, we've come to that. Oh boy, Matt's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Matt. Hi, Clark. It's an honor to talk to you. I've never been on live radio before. Well, it's great to have you here, and you have a question for me that if you knew the arguments that go on in our house over what you're about to ask me, oh boy, hit me with it. Yeah, I can imagine. So right now I live on my own in Minnesota, and in the winter it gets pretty cold. And I was wondering when I'm at work for eight, 10 hours a day, what temperature should I have my thermostat at when I'm gone and there's no one there heating the house so that I'm saving as much energy as I can? Okay, so wow, you didn't ask me what I keep my thermostats at, which people <laughs> ask me a lot. So what temperature are you comfortable in when you're home in the winter? I'm okay at about 64, 65. Wait, when you're home? Yeah. Oh, my goodness, I found somebody who's worse than I am. (laughs) Well, that's what long sleeves and blankets are for. Well, see, that's my kind of attitude. My family (laughs) says they all are miserable during winter because they say that I keep the house like it's a refrigerator to save money. And that's after we've done extreme insulation in the house and all kinds of other things to reduce energy consumption. So Mm -hmm. if you... Um, you're shocking me that you like the house at 64. So you would be okay, and if you get a Nest thermostat, something like that, they're really cheap now. Mm-hmm. To get I've one got of, a smart thermostat from a different company. But okay, so you've got it, one. I would say generally if you keep it at 55 degrees when you're okay. not there and a half hour before you typically come home that you have the smart thermostat set to go up to 64 or 65. You don't want to let it go below that. You have danger with potentially pipes breaking. It also makes it much harder for the house to heat back up. But Mm -hmm. if you have uh, roughly 8 to 10 degree lower temperature when you're not home than you like to have when you're home, that would be where you'd want to be. That's great. Thank you, because I've been keeping it at 58, and I felt like it still was too warm when I'm gone. Yes, I agree. So if you were, if you like 64, you could go maybe to 54, uh, but 55 is a pretty good number. Okay. And I can't, I can't even begin to tell you how many people are listening to you and me right now, Matt, who think both of us are ridiculous. Well, it makes it fun for me when I get cold and just think I'm saving money, so that's why I've got extra flannels. <laughs> well, good for you. It's funny. I, I was uh, The other day, I was in a store that was selling, it was Aldi, and they were selling these men's um, wintertime long pajama pants that were like, um, what's that material, like flannel? And it seems like they'll keep me warm when the temperature is like 44 in the house. Tom, how are you doing today? Very good. 
So you live in California listening to someone in Minnesota talk about winter must sound like really crazy. Yeah, it's it's here we are getting towards winter and it's 71 and sunny outside for us. It's pretty good temp, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, my wife refers to the temperature in much of California is no temperature. <laughs> that it's just basically you feel perfect and you don't even think about what the number is. Yes, it's much nicer energy bills, I'll admit. So speaking of numbers, there's a number that you've been accustomed to getting for free that's not going to be there anymore. What number is that? Well, it's using... Uh an account called Quizzle, which I learned about from you several years ago, and have used it for generally the FICO, and also it um, helps with one of the free credit reports. And I've always trusted it. And um, but I just received an email a few days ago saying that they're going to be going away, and they're asking me to join something called Bankrate. Yeah, Bankrate's completely legit. And Quizzle, I think, was the pioneer. And you must have been listening to me for a long time if you heard me talk about Quizzle, because that was years ago that I talked about them being this great pioneer with free information available and all that. And they've been eclipsed in recent years by Credit Karma, which is the largest source of information where you can see what's going on with your credit and all that, and Credit Sesame who have both been uh, quicker in the market. Now, Bankrate is a very successful clearinghouse of information, and Quizzle found a good buyer for, uh, for their customers. And I would feel comfortable, you know, Bankrate is setting up a new portal that will give you access to free information about your credit that is kind of like a more modern adaptation of Quizzle, and I would feel comfortable using the bank rate platform. Excellent. That's. I just want to be sure, because I know that I can trust anything that you've recommended, as I always have, and um, now I'm, I'm comfortable to just go ahead and start using bank rate and really realizing that Quizzle will be going away. Well, and over the years, and I appreciate your trust in me, over the years there have been people who have not been happy with things I've told them about. I remember there was a phone service probably 10 or so years ago that my own brother heard me talk about it and signed up for it for years, paid, prepaid for multiple years of service, and then like eight months in, they folded. So I don't know if he's forgiven me yet. <laughs> but with, with all the technology startups of every kind, um, some of them have great ideas, but the marketplace just doesn't support them as an ongoing thing. Quizzle's been around for a long time, and now they're morphing with the new owner, and I think it'll be just fine for you to transition to bank rate. Adam's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Adam. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Clark? Great. Thank you. My mom told me years ago that there was a denim establishment that you had visited that had a special service where they would analyze your body shape and select uh, from their premium jeans a brand that would fit your body and uh, 
make you look really good in them. And I was hoping to treat my wife to a special Christmas present this year by taking her there. Well, that was uh, a story I did when I was at HLN and CNN. And I'm trying to remember where in the country we did that story. But as best I know, the early pioneers in that business where they custom made clothing for you have mm-hmm. not succeeded. They're not oh. around. If there's <laughs> if there's any that are functioning right now, I haven't been able to find that because you're not the first person who's asked me that question about having personally custom-made clothes. I know mm-hmm. there's a lot of testing going on in that area, and one company in particular is extremely interested in making that work online, and that's Amazon. And Amazon okay. bought a company called Body Labs, and they almost certainly are intending to launch, where because Amazon's become a huge seller of clothing, Mm-hmm. And the problem they have are things don't fit, people return them. It's a it's a problem with online shopping for clothes is even if something looks good, if it doesn't fit you when it gets to you, it leads to the very high rate of returns. And so I think this is absolutely coming, but mm-hmm. I don't think for this year. You're not going to be able to surprise her this year. Okay. But uh, think about when we can get affordable stuff in the sneaker market there's already custom uh, sneakers and nike has been kind of at the forefront of that i think adidas may be getting into that as well but they're very expensive products and what's known as mass customization when you have things that are made specifically for you for your body that's something that is definitely going to happen i just don't know it's like fully autonomous vehicles what year is that going to take over the market i can't tell you but being able to custom fit clothing is one of those things that is gonna happen you're listening to the clark howard show Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.